and welcome back to What is Lutheran? Episode 3, Law and Gospel. So, it's been a while. Sorry for the long break with no notification. Things got a bit crazy at church and something had to give, or else your humble podcaster was going to go insane. None of us want that, so here we are returning after a bit of a break. So let's recap just a bit. The last few weeks, we have been going over Lutheran history, because to answer the question, what is Lutheran, you have to go into a bit of history. So we went over Luther's life and how we originally got this funny group of people called Lutherans. Last time, we took one of our interludes to talk about Lutheranism outside Germany, because it's a lot bigger than just one country. And I know what you were thinking. Didn't you say last time that we were going to have another interlude? And wasn't episode three going to be justification by faith? The answer is yes, I did say both those things. The first part, yes, I did say that we were going to go over the life of George Spalatin, because he never ever gets enough airtime. However, with the long break, I wanted to get us back on track, and so I made an executive decision that we will put our friend Spalatin off for another time. Sorry, George. As to the second question, yes, we were going to jump right into justification by faith first. I had originally planned this episode to be a part of a later series on how Lutherans read the Bible. However, as I was doing my research for justification by faith, I noticed that practically every Lutheran starts with a discussion on law and gospel first, then moves into the doctrine of justification. Basically, what Lutherans believe about how we are set right with God, justification, comes directly from the way we read the Bible, law and gospel. So let's start there. Basic question first, how do you read the Bible? Don't know what I mean? Well, there are 66 books and tens of thousands of verses. How do you organize all that story and information? Even the crowd that says it's all literally true are saying that they have a way with wrestling with all those words. We all have a way of dealing with what the Bible says. For most of us, it's probably implicit. We don't think too hard about it. Sometimes, however, it's pretty explicit. In the case of Luther and the Lutheran theologians after him, they were very explicit about how they read the Bible. Remember that back in episode 2D, we talked about the Augsburg Confession that statement that summed up what Lutherans believed before the emperor. I also briefly noted that afterwards a document that explains each article was written called the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. Apology here meaning defense. Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession is the article on justification, and in the Apology, Melanchthon begins his explanation of Article 4 by saying that all scripture should be divided into these two main topics, the law, and the promises. So what does it mean that all of Scripture is divided into law and promises, another word for gospel? Well, let's get the basic terms out of the way first. Law is not quite what you think it means. Luther writes that you can't understand law, and I quote, in human fashion as a teaching about what works are to be done or not done. That is the way with human laws. A law is fulfilled by works, even though there is no heart in the doing of them, end quote. Basically, the human law is pretty easy to fulfill. There is pretty much a law everywhere against murdering people. 
and that's a pretty easy law to fulfill. Just don't murder anyone. See? Law fulfilled. However, Luther writes, quote, But God judges according to what is in the depths of the heart. For this reason, his law, too, makes its demands on the inmost heart. It cannot be satisfied with works, end quote. Basically, fulfilling God's law is not about the doing of the thing, but, but about the intention behind the doing. Not just the intention, but the deep intention. Basically, are you willingly, joyfully, completely, without thought of any eternal reward following the law? Luther's point is that, of course you aren't. My wife and I go to a couple Pittsburgh Pirate games a year. Walking from our parking lot to the stadium, there are always a couple of people asking for money. I'll give some, because charity is commanded by God. And when I do, I typically think to myself, cool, done my good deed for the day. The second I think that, Luther says, I have no longer done a good deed, because I did the good deed with thought of my own reward and my own status. Another example. On the surface, do not commit adultery seems like an easy law to fulfill. Don't sleep around with your neighbor's wife. However, according to this way of understanding things, simply not committing adultery is not enough. Thinking about, having it cross your mind just once, even without action, even telling yourself, I can't do that because God commanded me, reveals that you aren't really fulfilling the law, because it implies that had God not commanded it, you would be causing trouble in your neighborhood. Basically, when it comes to God's law, none of us ever fulfill it, because our motives are never completely pure. Luther writes, quote, The doing of the works of the law and the fulfilling of the law are two very different things. You can do the work, but just doing the work of the law does not fulfill the law's commandments. And this finally brings us to the basic definition of law. When Lutherans talk about law and gospel, law is anything in scripture that tells you to do something and thereby points out how much you have failed to do it. The Ten Commandments are a classic example. Go through the list, then go through the way Jesus interprets those commandments and makes them harder, and you will find out how much you haven't lived up to the standard you were supposed to. Not just how much you have failed to live up to the standards, but how impossible it would be for you to ever live up to those standards. The simplest definition of law comes from a document called the Formula of Concord. Therefore, everything that condemns sin is and belongs to the proclamation of the law. A word of warning, don't get law mixed up with Old Testament. There are plenty of things in the New Testament that are commands we have failed to live up to. The easiest example is Luke 18. A rich man comes to Jesus with a classic law question. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There must be something he can do. That's law thinking. Well, Jesus tells the rich man the law answer, go and sell all that he has. After he doesn't do it, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Everyone around Jesus says, who then can be saved? This whole classic encounter is a law encounter. The man asks a law question, what must I do? Jesus tells him a law answer, you must do this, sell everything. The man then doesn't do it because he's just a man and isn't perfect and can't fulfill the law. Then Jesus says he wasn't kidding around. And if you think fulfilling the law is how you're going to get right with God, well, here's how hard it is. 
Then the crowd comes to the right conclusion. Well, then, how can anyone even possibly be saved? The same story is a good intro into our other term, promises or gospel. The word gospel can get us into a bit of confusion because gospel is also the name of a particular genre of books in the New Testament, the four gospels, that contain both law and promises. Therefore, the in the Apology, Melanchthon uses the word promise, and I think we will too. The promises are simply put the promises that on account of Christ we receive forgiveness, justification, and eternal life as a gift. The word gift here is important because this is a promise, not a reward. You haven't done anything to merit it, and that's what the law t does, tells us we haven't earned anything. The promise states that on account of Christ, we receive everything we need. Again, the formula of Concord states, However, the gospel is strictly speaking the kind of teaching that reveals what the human being, who has not kept the law and has been condemned by it, should believe, that Christ has atoned and paid for all sins, and apart from any human merit, has obtained and won for people the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The gospel is, and I quote again, nothing else than a proclamation of comfort and joyous message, which does not rebuke nor terrify, but comforts the conscience. End quote. Getting back to our Luke story, the people ask how one can be saved, and Jesus' response is classic gospel. What is impossible with man is possible with God. He is basically saying, you're right, you can't do it, but God can. This is what the gospel announces. It announces that even though on our own we can't do it, God does it for us. Luther and later Lutherans warned that we need to keep a strict distinction between law and gospel for us to hear the real message of Jesus Christ. It's really easy to get this all mixed up. Part of the reason Lutherans emphasized this for so long is that they thought a basic mix-up of law and promise is what the Catholic Church was getting so wrong at the time. Basically, at the time, the Catholic Church was saying, Christ and the Holy Spirit give you the power to start doing good works so that you can get to heaven. But Luther said that this isn't gospel, it's law. You still are telling people they have to do something, and therefore it's not grace. Because they were failing to tell people grace, they were leaving consciences afflicted. Without keeping a clear distinction, Melanchthon says people naturally drift toward confusing law and gospel because human beings are always prideful and always want to believe that they can achieve salvation by doing what is within them. Remember that little phrase from earlier episodes? We can actually see this today in all sorts of ways. Often in the church there is something I call the cult of respectability. People say that they can't fulfill the law, just like everyone else but then test that proposition by welcoming a drug dealer, an addict, or a homeless person into the church. Suddenly, people will often implicitly, but sometimes explicitly, come up with all sorts of reasons why that person can't be in church. This is a form of law. Telling people they are not welcome to hear the good news and receive the sacraments because of something they have done. Another way to put all this, according to the law, none of us, from the most awful drug addict to the most normal mother, are respectable enough to earn God's love, and the gospel is that message that says everyone doesn't need to earn it. 
In addition to needing a clear distinction, we need to have both law and gospel for it to be a proper sermon or message. Law without any gospel, Luther says, either drives people to hypocrisy or despair. Hypocrisy, because it leads people to thinking that they are holy by their own actions when they really aren't. Despair, because it leads people to thinking that they can never be forgiven. Gospel, however, without any law is equally dangerous. It leads to the kind of thinking that Paul talks about in Romans. Shall I sin more so that grace may abound? Because we are given grace and the Holy Spirit freely, we can then go out about our lives changed in some way. That free gift of the Holy Spirit works all those gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. So because of free grace, we don't go about unchanged. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian during World War II, noted that the gospel without any law justifies the sin and not the sinner. The Ten Commandments, in addition to being good examples of law, are also a great example of keeping law and gospel together. Before the commandments even get started, God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. This is gospel, folks. It says that God has done what God has done, brought the people of God out of slavery, and says that God is our God, no exceptions. With gospel stated, then we get the law. Finally, a quick word of warning. Don't go through the Bible creating lists of law texts and gospel texts. It doesn't work that way. You will not find some index in the back that, after the maps, of course, that lists all the law and all the gospel verses. I wish it were that easy, but it's not. What makes something law or gospel depends a lot on how someone hears or preaches it. For example, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You could hear this as law if you thought, Well, in order to be blessed, I have to be poor in spirit. Or it could be gospel if you thought, Hey, I'm poor in spirit, and now I can trust in certain hope that God blesses and loves me. Now I happen to think you must be poor in spirit to be blessed is a bad interpretation of this verse, but that is why you want to study scripture, to make sure you are reading what is supposed to be gospel as gospel, and what is supposed to be law as law. A more subtle example is Luke's version of this verse. Luke chapter 6 verse 20 says, Blessed are the poor, full stop. Now there's a lot of different ways to hear this. You might, for example, be a typical middle class American, and a pastor could, in a sermon, point out that this means you are actually one of the richest people on the planet and in all of history. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, could be law in this sermon, because it could get you to thinking about all the ways that you are not poor, and therefore all the ways you should be acting in solidarity and in loving community with the poor. That's law, because it's telling you to do something. On the other hand, you could hear this as gospel. Maybe you are genuinely poor, and suddenly you hear this word from God that says you are blessed, not because of how wealthy you are, but simply because God blesses the poor, no action required. That's gospel. But whether the text is the gospel or law depends upon who you are and how it's preached. 
After hearing both the law that says we cannot do something that will make God love us, and after hearing the promise or gospel that says grace is freely given, what's the next step? Well, the next part is faith. The promises of God are received by faith, and that will lead us to our next episode. So what do I want you to get out of this? What's the so what? Well, I really want you to get that law and gospel is crucially necessary. Luther and the early Lutheran theologians were right. We don't really want to deal with this way of reading with the Bible. Often sermons are either all law, that's the you're going to hell type sermon, or all gospel, that's the hey, I'm okay, you're okay, everyone is okay sermon, or they get the gospel confused, just do this and God will bless you type sermon. To find a real law and promise sermon is a rare thing. In seminary, I once sat through a sermon that was, I kid you not, all about being an organ donor. The main point was that it is our Christian duty to be organ donors. Now, I think being an organ donor is a good thing, but the problem with this sermon is that one, it was all law because it was telling me to do something, and two, did not tell me anything about what Jesus had freely done for me as grace. On top of that, it was a bad sermon, but that is another matter entirely. The be an organ donor might be a silly example, but you probably have all heard a version of the just have faith or hope or whatever sermon that tells you just do something or achieve the right state of mind. The problem here is that this sermon does what Luther says it does. It leaves you despairing because it's not a simple just find hope. Sometimes I can't just find hope. That is why I need gospel. That's why I need someone to tell me that Jesus gives me hope, regardless of whether I've earned it or found it or done it. The church is in enough trouble without people, pastors and lay, going out giving bad messages. We need genuine gospel, real good news. So that's it for this week. Next time, I promise we will get to justification by faith. Thanks everyone for your patience, and I hope to see you next time on What is a Lutheran?